This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Stop punishing yourself with bland, chalky protein shakes and fuel your fitness with the best protein in the game at GNC. We've got the hottest brands and flavors that legit taste like cookies, your favorite cereal, indulgent desserts, and more. It's on at GNC. When the replay official did not stop I, I'm the game. not going to comment on that. I'll get fined for the rest of my life if I get commented on that. We had a great belief in our locker room. We didn't have to do anything special, just be us. I was so proud of this team. We had so much fun, it ought to be illegal. Coach Carousel talk, is that something you just ignore? Yeah, yeah, you, you ignore because one week you're getting fired and the next week you're going to take another job, and I'm worried about the darn SEC West Championship. And So, yes, to answer your question. Our purpose is to win, make no mistake about it, but it's to win the right way. And our goal, our stated goal, is going to be to win the Sun Belt, uh, sorry, to win the SEC East. Talk about the reception you received from the fan, fan base. Did you ever think you'd be kissing and hugging babies at the tarmac when you got the point? Um, a lot better than another tarmac experience that I had. <laughs> I didn't think of that. It was like, <laughs> like an anniversary or something like that. We're coming. We're coming. And we ain't backing down. And as my, as the head football coach at South Carolina, my job is to do what I feel is best for the University of South Carolina football program today and going forward in the future. And that's what I did. We wish him well and uh, have nothing but uh, uh, we, we wish him well. Welcome in the latest episode of that SEC podcast. I'm your host, Michael Bratton. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter. And wouldn't you know it, Cousin Shane bailed again. I think that man's on a bender or something. Last time I checked, he was in Asheville drinking away his sorrows, another Tennessee transfer. But don't worry, he will be back at some point. But in the meantime... I've lined up one of my favorite guests. We had him on the show a number of times, Adam McClintock, a.k.a. the CFB professor. He's going to go on a deep dive on a lot of these SEC teams. He has put out his updated fall preview for the upcoming football season. I cannot recommend enough Adam's Patreon page. It's patreon.com slash CFB underscore professor and you can find that in the show notes he puts out a preview uh, that you know for the money hell i think the patreon's only like two bucks a month it's worth way more than that you're not going to find this much detailed analysis on not only the sec but the rest of college football for just a couple of bucks a month it's a deal that can't be beat so we'll talk to adam here in just a second but hey we've got some additional point spreads that have finally come out uh you know the big week one games for the upcoming season they've been out for a while i'm thinking georgia clemson and lsu ucla alabama miami those point spreads have been out for quite a while but we've got 
several others to break down here. And I'm just going to start with the first game of the season that's going to be on a Thursday. Bowling Green at Tennessee. Opening point spread, according to sportsbetting.ag, them Vols by 27 points. The Vols favored by nearly four touchdowns in the opener for Josh Heupel. And I think the funniest thing I saw when I put this out there, Tennessee fan said, well, hell, it's just great to see someone expecting Tennessee to score 27 points in a football game again. (laughs) That's perfect. So that'd be a great way to start the Josh Heupel era there on Rocky Top. Next on the list here, Louisiana Monroe at Kentucky. Almost a nearly identical point spread. Wildcats favored by 27 and a half points over ULM. And if I'm not mistaken, old Terry Bowden, he's a head coach down there. Rich Rodriguez, I think, is his offensive coordinator. So, hell, we'll get in the uh, Liam Cohen era here in Kentucky running that offense. We don't know who the quarterback's going to be for Kentucky just yet, but they're going to be having to face old Terry Bowden. So, That'll be an interesting one. Next on the list, Rice at Arkansas. Whoopee! Razorbacks favored by 23 points in the opener before getting to that Texas game. So put your money on them. Razorbacks are going to beat the hell out of Rice. Only a 23-point spread. Now here was kind of the biggest stunner. I have no idea what in the hell they're thinking with this one. Central Michigan at Missouri. M-I-Z! Missouri, 11 Point favorite. What? Over Central Michigan? Is that row the boat still down there? I don't know what the hell's going on with that line, but you got to figure that's going to be moving pretty quick. Missouri only 11 point favorite over Central Michigan to open the season. Central Michigan must got some All Americans that I'm unaware of. Uh, how about this one? This one of the best week one games under the radar, I think. Louisiana Tech at Mississippi State. Year two of the Mike Leach era. Bulldogs favored by 29 points in the opener. That's a ton of points, but you know, going into the second year of this offense, they're going to be throwing all over the yard. They should have a lot of success against Louisiana Tech. Again, favored by 29 points against the Bulldogs on, uh, I think, Texas Bulldogs too. And how about the Brian Harson era? Getting that off. Akron at Auburn. War damn eagle. Tigers favored by 34 and a half. Akron must be god awful. They're going to get their ass whipped here week one by Auburn. 34 and a half point favorite. That's the largest of all these lines. Then we got FAU. I think old Willie Taggart's down there. Former Florida State coach. Washed out after a year and a half, whatever it was, at Florida. Gators favored by 24 and a half. I'm liking that one. I almost like that as much as I like Missouri favored by 11 over Central Michigan, but obviously a lot more points here, breaking in a new quarterback. But uh, old Willie Taggart's going to get whipped here by them Gators. 24, not enough points for me. And then how about this one? Kent State at Texas A&M. Texas A&M favored by 29 points in the opener. No surprise on that one and then you know basically the rest of these we've already been aware the point spreads are out but they're a little updated so i'll go over those real quick georgia versus clemson in charlotte clemson still favored i don't know how but they're still favored 
Sports betting's got the Tigers favored by three and a half. LSU at UCLA, the Tigers favored by five. I think that opened around seven. So, so points going UCLA's way. That's a mistake. And then, of course, Alabama versus Miami in the opener in Atlanta. And Alabama favored by 18. No surprise there. Somebody put out Miami. Alabama on upset alert playing Miami. Get the hell out of there with that talk. That's a bunch of bullshit. Alabama going to just roll all over the Hurricanes. And then, of course, uh, don't forget Monday night. Man, how great is this week one going to be? We're gonna, we got football on Thursday, football on Saturday, and then it closes on Monday with Ole Miss and Louisville also in Atlanta. That is uh, currently a seven-point spread in favor of the Ole Miss Rebels. I think that line has been the same as it was when it debuted a couple weeks ago. So there you have it for the week one lines, and that's all I've got. Before we get to our interview here, so let's just get to it with, uh, once again, CFB professor Adam McClintock. I think you guys are really going to appreciate this one. All right, we're pleased to once again be joined by Adam McClintock. Of course, you know him as the CFB professor, and that's where you can find him on Twitter, at CFB underscore professor, and you got to check out his Patreon over at patreon.com slash CFB underscore professor adam thanks again for joining us i really appreciate it hey thank you i appreciate it man i always like coming on your show so this is this is a treat for me yeah and what a time it is man so i i know even when i you know i asked you to come on you were just giddy saying well heck we're only two months away from college football so uh, i love the fact that uh, you're about as big a college football nerd as, as i am and you got the numbers to back it up so not only are your all your analytics, which again, you got to check that out over at uh, Adam's Patreon account. But these are not your, you know, guesses or you're throwing anything against the wall. This is a model that you have. Can you explain? I know you've been on the show a couple of times, but for new listeners, can you explain your model and, and how you come up with all your numbers? Yeah, absolutely. Basically, what I was trying to do, I, this is the 13th year I've, I've done this. My very first year I, I re- released anything was 2008. And my goal in all this was trying to come up with a, a way that is completely void of opinion, completely void of bi- any kind of bias at all. And just, you know, by the numbers, what does, what, what does it project by, uh, uh, for each team? And I wanted to keep it simple. I didn't want it to be, you know, overly complex. So I, I started out using um, uh, five main uh, categories that I judge by. I, I use a, a roster talent as a big one. I use uh, coaching efficiency, which I, the way I measured that is I have a database that stretches back to 2008 um, of every coach that's called a play, every coach that's been on the sidelines for, for every team in, in, in the FBS. And every play is graded and judged a, a certain way. So I, I, I'm able to come up with coaching efficiencies in that way. So coaching efficiency is one. The third one is returning uh, production. You know, what, what do you have to returning from your offense from the year before? And uh, returning uh, starters, returning experience is is another one, which isn't as, as big in my formula as, as it is in some others, but it, it is a factor. And I also sprinkle in a little bit of home field advantage for, for the home team. But using those five basic things, I have created a, a mathematical model that is completely void of opinion 
and does a pretty good job of, of, of forecasting what's going to happen. It's, it usually hits within about 76% correct straight up throughout the year. It has since 2008. So um, hopefully, you know, if, if you're into that type of thing, check it out. I know I, I enjoy putting out every year, and, and this is the time of year you really get excited about it. Yeah, and one other thing that you, you've added to your model is a coordinator pace pairing. Can you give a breakdown of, of what made you go in that direction and, and what exactly that pace pairing is? Yeah, you know, something that uh, I started noticing in 2008, 2009, 2010, kind of in that time range, was that um, with with the pace of play picking up in college football the way it did, you know, after the, the, the Chip Kelly influx and, and that, that influence, it, it kind of took off in college football and offenses were running at breakneck paces that we'd never seen before, running 80 plays per game. I started diving into what, how does this affect the, the defensive coordinator because the more plays that offense pushes to run, the more plays he has to defend. And I, I did find a correlation, and, and some defensive coordinators are, are better at defending what I call pace than, than others are. So you want, to, you want to, to make sure that the philosophies of your offensive coordinator and your defensive coordinator mesh and that your offensive coordinator isn't basically leaving your defensive coordinator in, in, in the dust. Um, for example, um, Jim Leonard at Wisconsin is an excellent defensive coordinator, but he only faces around 61, 62 plays per game because of how uh, Wisconsin's offense is set up. Trans, you know, transversely, you have uh, – oh, um, what's a good example? Old Mike Norvell at Florida State, right? His, his defensive coordinator is going to see 77, 78, 79 plays per game because of the pace that Mike Norvell likes to push his offense. So you're, you're looking at almost two full more drives that one defensive coordinator has seen to, versus, versus another, and, and that really affects the type of athlete that he has to, has to recruit as well as the type of substitution patterns he has to implement in, in his defense. So that pace pairing just tells you how well is the, is, is the offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator philosophy meshing on, on that football team. They, are they helping each other or are they hurting each other? So basically that, that, is, that is what that is a measure of. Mm-hmm. And the main reason I wanted to ask you that, uh, you know, let's just get into your numbers here. You've got, no surprise, I think everybody in the world's going to have this, unless you live in Gainesville, uh, Georgia as the team to beat in the SEC East. But, you know, big question here in a lot of fans' minds, is the coaching staff down there the only thing standing in the way of the Bulldogs winning uh, the SEC and potentially the national championship. And according to your coordinator pace pairing, Georgia's got uh, the worst pace pairing in the entire SEC. So is Georgia's coaching potential? I'm not saying it's going to cost them, but according to your model, do you think uh, you know that's the only thing standing in uh, the Bulldogs' way this year? Well, I think I think you, you saw. Um... You saw Kirby Smart kind of mitigate that a little bit last year. Um, Todd Monken, his his pace of play typically, when he's been his most successful, has been has been fairly up pace. But I think you saw uh, Kirby Smart kind of put a governor on that last year and 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 throttle that back a little bit. Now that's going to affect Todd Monken's offensive uh, efficiency a little bit, but it'll 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 save um, um, Georgia's defense immensely. And with Kirby Smart being a defensive head, mind head coach, that's probably what's going to happen there. He's not going to turn Todd Monken loose and just wear his defense out. That's that's not going to happen. So Todd Monken will still ha- most likely be playing with with handcuffs on as far as the kind of pace that he likes to run or, or would prefer to run. 
but the the question is, is, is with all that talent, is he is he able to get enough efficiency out of his play calling in order to to, to make that not an, an issue? Um, model says, you know, yes, they they should be able to get enough efficiency out of that. Um, but but you know, we'll we'll see how it plays out. Now you got Florida number two. I th- I don't think again. I don't think that's a surprise to anybody. But I really wanted to ask you in the SEC East, tied for third here, Kentucky and Missouri. How close are those two programs in your model? Because I'm seeing both those fan bases, you know, they're riding high from last season. They're thinking, you know, this is going to be an opportunity to to maybe even jump Florida in the East. So how close do you have it between Kentucky and Missouri based on your model? Well, I'll tell you what, man, they're about as close as you can possibly get. In fact, if, if Kentucky and Missouri were to play at a neutral site, uh, the the model would take Missouri by less than a point, wow. by point nine points. So they're they're essentially the exact same team. <laughs> is what the model is saying, <laughs> and you know the projections kind of show that in their finish in in the East. There, um, some of that is 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 you know Kentucky has a, a new offensive coordinator. Um, Liam Cohen is is taking over there, and he's not called a play in, in the FBS since 2008, at least according to my database. And so the model doesn't really know how to input him quite yet. Uh, it'll, it'll get a better feel for him two or three games in and, and, and an even better feel for him in the next year or two that he's calling plays. But right now it isn't, it's uncertain how his offensive play calling is going to affect that, that, uh, that side of the ball. They're always strong on the defensive side of the ball with Mark Stoops as, as a defensive minded head coach and, and Brad White, I have him as, as a B grade defensive coordinator. So he's, he's good. So, um, it, the model isn't. It just kind of depends on, on what side of the fence that offensive side of the ball falls on. I mean, they they have um, six toss-up games. The record ceiling is ten and two, so they could they could very well jump up and jump Florida this year if if, if things fall right on the offensive side of the ball. But on, on the back half of that, if it all falls flat, they could also go four and eight. They're one of the more volatile teams in in, in the uh, in the SEC. Yeah, and I'm glad you referenced that because I was going to mention. According to your model, six toss-up games, like you said, for Kentucky, and that is the most in the SEC. So, you know, as, as I'm sitting here looking at it with a new coordinator, new quarterback, you know, how difficult is that going to be to go 6-0 and in a, in a toss-up game scenario? You, you have to figure that Kentucky is going to drop at least one or two of those games, wouldn't you think? Absolutely, and that's why the model I think has them at seven and five. It's got them, it's it's got them going three and three in those toss-up games actually. So it's got them splitting them right down the middle. They did get a couple of key transfers on the offensive side of the ball, and Wondell Robinson from Nebraska. He's going to be a big lift I think for that offense, depending on how Liam Cohen decides to use him. There's a lot of there's just a lot of question marks on that side of the ball. If those things get ironed out fairly quickly. Um, then, then Kentucky could, could have a uh, the, the type of year that, that fan base is, is is longing for. Now, next team I wanted to ask you about Tennessee. You got your models got them number five in the SEC East, but something very interesting I picked up. If you go down in your preview book, which again you can find on Adam's Patreon page, but you got them listed as you know the pieces when you when you correlate the talent on the roster and the coaching staff that Tennessee has a playoff profile. Now, you're certainly not suggesting that they're going to make a run to the playoff, but did that surprise you at all that uh, Tennessee, that, that your model at least has projects that Tennessee has the pieces 
that that other playoff teams in the past have had? Well, you know, talent has never really been an issue at Tennessee, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, they they've recruited well the past you know four or five years in a row. Pruitt did a good job of of getting talent in there. It just you know it never quite came together for him on the field. Josh Heupel, he inherited a good situation at Central Florida. He took over, he was taken over for an undefeated you know Scott Frost team there, and it's tough to tell whether he rode a little bit on those coattails or did did he develop that into his own situation. The model seems is, is kind of split. It's got him as an as an A minus head coach in those th- you know in those three years of experience. Typically, I don't like to to call it grade solid until after the fourth year. So um, he's still kind of in that wishy washy wishy-washy mode as far as his grading is. But there's no denying he's a good offensive play caller. Um, I, I do believe he will be calling the plays himself in, in Knoxville. Um, he's got 10 years of experience of that in that database, and he's a B-plus graded uh, offensive coordinator. Tim Banks is his defensive coordinator that he's chosen. Um, not as quite as high on him. He's a C-minus type guy. So... I was a little shocked to see that the, that the model thought so highly of his coaching staff, but I think a lot of that is, is that as, as a head coach, his, his grade isn't quite solid yet, and they're, it's riding a lot on, on the offensive side of the ball, which anybody who knows you know, a, a regime change or has experienced that with their team knows that there's going to be some roster turnover and maybe the body types don't fit quite what, what Josh Heupel wants to do. I mean, Jerry Pruitt and Jim Chaney, when, when, when he was there running, running the offense, they recruited big offensive linemen. They want to maul people. That's kind of the opposite of what Josh Josh Heupel is going to want to do. He's going to want to get up pace and, and, and snap the ball quickly. So we'll we'll just have to see um, um, how that how that turns out in the field this year. It's going to be a heck of a, a heck of a transition transition as far as strength conditioning is concerned. And we'll see if, if that gets done in Knoxville. I have no idea if you keep track of these numbers, but I but you just made me think of something. Is Jeremy Pruitt? Uh the worst coach that your model's seen in recent SEC history, or, or does another one stand out? Um, no. Uh, Chad Morris was worse. <laughs> <laughs> Chad Morris was worse. <laughs> so that's, that's one that sticks out pretty clearly. Will Muschamp wasn't far behind. So. <laughs> All right, so uh, jumping over to the West, of course you got uh, Alabama, number one, I think. Again, most people are going to have that, but I did want to ask you something because because one thing jumped out to me about your model, LSU, obviously they play Alabama every year, and this year the game is in Tuscaloosa, but that is not listed as a toss-up game according to your model. Is that based on the fact that the game's in Tuscaloosa and uh, that, that, that the model perceives Alabama as just having a, a massive advantage on, on the coaching side? Is, is, does that play a factor there? Absolutely. You know, um, LSU has the, the roster talent to play with anybody anywhere, but I, the, the model has a lot of questions about their, their, their hires they made as an offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator hires. Um, neither one of their coordinators has called a play at the FBS level. Uh, Jake Peets was, was who, they, who they hired as their offensive coordinator. Uh, Durante Jones was their defensive coordinator they, had, coordinator they hire. Nothing's known about either one of those guys. So you're taking an uh, – which, which, you know, if, if they're able to play Alabama early, that might be a good thing because then there's not a whole lot on film of, of, of what, what to expect by LSU. But by that time late in the year, they're, you know, Saban and his staff is going to have pegged pretty much what, what, they're, what they're doing and, and what they like to do. So 
little bit a little bit of that point spread projection is because it's in Alabama, in Tuscaloosa. But I think even if it was at LSU, I think it would be close to a toss up. I'm not, I'm not I'm not sure it would even be a toss up at that point. Um, LSU um, uh, lost a lot of talent over the over the past two years. They they have recruited well, but uh, you know I, I know they returned their their whole defensive line, and I think one of their offensive linemen hit the transfer portal this this week actually. So mm-hmm. um, that that will go into in, into this model update as as well. It's just it just remains this range to be seen how those new coordinators you know get their feet wet in the SEC West and 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 how they hit the ground running there in, in, in Baton Rouge. Well, considering everything you just said there, how close has your model got Texas A&M and LSU? Because I'm looking at it here, and it, you know, much like I perceive it, it looks like there's a big drop after you go Alabama, A&M, LSU in the West. Does your model see it that way too, where A&M and LSU are fairly close together? Um, my model has A&M above LSU by by about oh uh, if they if they would play on a neutral field um, A&M would be favored by almost eight it would have just because of uh, of the coaching staff the established coaching staff Texas A&M has and the talent band isn't you know enough to really overcome that so th- this is definitely as far as power rankings is concerned which you know, it just basically basically takes it into account. If every one of those teams was to was to play at a neutral field, what would happen? Um, I have LSU as the fifth best team in the SEC. So, and like I said, a lot of that is riding on just the unknown of, of their coordinators and the relative inexperience of their play calling, jumping into a conference like the SEC. So yeah, right now Texas A&M is above LSU, looking looking down at them right now, but. We'll, we'll see how those new coordinators uh, are able to, to, to adjust. Now, what about Mississippi State, which is uh, one team that you have listed under your most volatile team projections for the upcoming season, much like Kentucky. They've got a number of toss-up games, I believe five, according to your model. They're a team that, you know, if everything goes right for them, I could see them, you know, climbing the SEC West. And if there's things go bad, I could see them finishing dead last. So how tough was it for the model to predict What's going to happen for Mississippi State this year? Oh, it was, it was extremely tough. You know, Mike Leach. You know, his 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 first year was last year doing doing a, a and under some 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 strange circumstances there at Mississippi State. So um, the offense is always going to be good under under Mike Leach or serviceable. It, it, it may not be the uh, the type of ball that uh, the SEC is used to seeing, but it's been effective no matter where he's been. Is he, whether, they, whether that be Lubbock, Texas, or whether, whether that be um, uh, you know, up at Washington State, it, it doesn't matter that 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 system he runs tends to work. But really is the relative unknown is, is Zach Arnett. He's only got one year of play calling under his belt. And he did an, an above average job last year. He didn't do a bad job, but um, you know, it's, the model isn't sold on, on what he's doing yet. It's got him as a C-plus grade for that first year. So taking those things into account and taking into account kind of what they have returning as far as offensive production, that's that's kind of what, why the toss games are, are where they are. It, it has them where, where they where, where they can finish anywhere from eight and four to three and nine. So it, it's it's another one of those wishy-washy teams, like you said, could finish you know eight wins and, and, and be looking good in the SEC West, or could finish you know at, at the bottom. It just kind of depends on how that defense develops and and how. Mike Leach's pieces are, are starting to put together on, on, for his system on offense. Now, staying in the state of Mississippi, what about Ole Miss? I mean, we've got a, 
you know, your model, I don't know how much it uh, considers the fact that uh, Matt Corral may be the SEC's best quarterback, but your model seems to love the Lane Kiffin being the plane caller, and the pace pairing is the best in the SEC, yet uh, Ole Miss down the bottom of the list here in the SEC West. Can you give us your thoughts on, on the Rebels, on where your model projects them? Yeah, you know, um, they're they're more of a a, a victim of uh, of scheduling. There, they have to go to Alabama. They have to go to Auburn. They have to go, you know, in, in a game that that is never easy in the Egg Bowl. They have to go to Mississippi State, and those games are are, are going to be the games that they need to win to make this the type type of season those in Oxford want to be. I mean, they they, they got to beat Auburn at Auburn. They got to beat Mississippi at Mississippi State at Mississippi State. In order to get to get to a point where I think people there would 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 be okay with what's going on there, you're right. Lane Kiffin it, it does like his play calling ability. Uh, Matt Corral he's 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 going to be fun to watch there th- this year in, in Lane Kiffin's offense. DJ Durkin uh, this is his his fourth year in my database. I'm calling plays. He's rated as a B minus guy, so he's above average. And and because of that. You see, it, my model has them in four toss-up games and going three and one in those toss-ups. So that coaching staff ex- experience and the, the way that they, that they has them meshing is is um, is shows in those toss-up games. Um, if you notice, I have an average expected wins total for for you know that that that, that tells you um, what to expect out of each team historically um, when taking account their roster talent and the roster talent of the teams they're playing and Ole Miss, their roster talent discrepancy for their schedule is 14.9 right now. Okay. And historically since 2008, the average expected wins for that type of, of, of pairing is seven wins. And that's right at where the model has Lane Kiffin finishing at seven wins. So if he gets to seven wins with that schedule and the amount of talent he has on his roster, that's, that's about where he should have done. Anything above seven wins is, is, is probably something to be cheering about and, and doing backflips about. Anything below seven, and you just kind of start to look sideways at it. But it just kind of depends on what those games look like as well. All right, well, Adam, i got to let you know, i got a lot of Arkansas listeners. Why does your model hate the Razorbacks? Try to explain that one for me. Well, <laughs> I'll tell you what. I love that coaching staff in Arkansas. I love the coaching staff. Um, Kendall Bryles, you know, um, Barry Odom, Sam Pittman. I, I love what they got going on there. The tough thing is they're trying to do it in Fayetteville, Arkansas, and in the SEC West, and, and you know, where normally if they were in the Big 12 or if they were in another conference, they would be at the top <laughs> at the top end of their conference with a, with a roster talent ranking in the 30s, right? But they're in the SEC West, and that puts them almost dead last in the SEC West as far as roster talent. So it's not a coaching issue. It is a pure roster talent issue as far as Arkansas is concerned in, in, in the West. Um, the model has them going three and nine. I, you know, um, with, with, with that coaching staff the way they are and how, how much I like that coaching staff and what, they, what they've done there so far, I see that pushing more tools towards five and seven. Um, you know, they have a toss-up game against Mississippi State, a toss-up game versus Missouri at the end of the year. I expect those games to be competitive, and I expect with Arkansas to to, uh, to maybe even pull those games out. Um, the Texas game, the second game of the year, will, will be one to watch, one to circle, because those are two, that's a new coaching staff at Texas going against this coaching staff at Arkansas. 
I think they have a, a swingers chance in that game as well. So um, the model may not show it, but it loves the coaching staff. I know, I know it's got Sam Pittman as a D minus D minus head coach, but that's for one year. Like I said, um, I'm waiting until after four years to check back on his grade, and I'm sure it'll, it'll be higher than what it is now. If he can get Arkansas to five wins, that's a victory this year. They have the number one. I think they they have the number one uh, number one worst schedule in the country, the, t- the toughest schedule in the country according to my model, and it's it's just it doesn't get any easier. <laughs> it just doesn't. That's just life in the SEC West right there. Yeah. And uh, speaking of that, last thing for you, Adam, I really appreciate all the time you spent, but kind of the biggest eye catcher for me personally. I'm wondering, I'm, I'm wondering if it surprised you. But you got Auburn, number four, not in the SEC West. Well, yes, number four in the West, but your model's number four in the conference overall power rankings. You, you have them as a playoff contender, according to your model. Uh, how big of a surprise was that to you? What's your model gave you that information? It was. It, it was a little bit of a surprise. Um, you know, Auburn is, is, is another one, one of those teams that talent isn't an issue. They have a top 15 roster talent ranking. So talent is not an issue there. I love Brian Harson as head coach. Um, he 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 knows how to handle uh, a roster in which he's he's got more talent than his than his opponents on on average. As he did at Boise State in the Mountain West for the most part. I like the Mike Bobo hire. Mike Bobo is, is familiar with the SEC. He, he's an he's an SEC lifer. He's he's been there in his entire career, whether that be at Georgia or at or at South Carolina. He he knows the SEC, and he also hired Derek Mason as a defensive coordinator, which I think was a fantastic hire. People forget how good of a defensive coach Derek Mason is because he was a Vanderbilt. His years at Stanford were lights out, and, and even the, the, the defenses when he first got to Vanderbilt and was actually calling the defenses there were, were, were stingy, even with the talent gap that he had there. So I really like that staff. I'm interested to see how they transition into SEC West play. Um, and, you know, it, the, the model has them – in, in three toss-up games, and because it's, it's kind of a transition staff, it's got them going 0 and 3 in those toss-up games. But they could go anywhere from 10 and 2 to 7 and 5. Um, so it wouldn't surprise me to see them in, in double-digit wins their first season there in, uh, in at uh, in, in Auburn. Yeah, and you mentioned how god awful Chad Morris was. That was, of course, the offensive coordinator last year. And people always jump on me when I say I think Bo Nix. Don't write him off just yet. His coaches were Chad Boris and Gus Malzahn last year. There's nowhere to go but up for old Bo Nix. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Mike Bobo will get more out of him than those two uh, were able to do last year, that's for sure. <laughs> All right, so once again, he's Adam McClintock, the CFB professor. Got to give him a follow at CFB underscore professor on Twitter and head on over to his Patreon page. That link is in the show notes. Adam, thank you so much for joining us once again and just dropping so much knowledge on your model here. No problem, no problem. I, any time. Like I said, I love coming on your show. So anytime during during the year you want to you want to hop on, we'll we'll talk about what's going on. That that'd be great. All right. So I want to want to say thanks once again to Adam for joining the show and man, spieling on here for you know the better part of thirty minutes here. Got to hit on almost all the teams in the SEC. You got to check out his Patreon page. It's only a couple bucks a month. It's very, very much worth the price. He updates his analytics as the season comes along and said it himself. Over 13 years, he's, his accuracy is 76%. If uh, we had those odds in Vegas, we'd be rich, rich people. So 
you got to follow Adam's work, very plugged in to what's going on in college football. And not only is he just uh, putting out these numbers, he actually works with these college football programs when they need a coach or a coordinator. They reach out to Adam and his firm, and he gives them the breakdown of a lot of in-depth analysis on who schools should be looking at and you know, these pace pairings. I mean, there's a reason he's putting all this out because this is truly valuable information that uh, these college programs that are starting to come around to the analytics are really buying into. So, hey, you're getting the uh, intel here on this show. Thanks to Adam. So thanks again, Adam McClintock, the CFB professor for hopping on the line. All right, guys. So that's going to do it for this episode. Really appreciate you guys hanging in there. Uh, we did have another guest that was... I was trying to get lined up for this week, you know, with the upcoming 4th of July and everything, we decided to push that to next week. So that'll be coming out. I think you guys are really going to appreciate that. Never had this guest on the show before, but he's going to, he's one of the insiders of insiders here in the SEC. So looking forward to that. And hopefully old cousin Shane is not at the bar when he's doing his errands like he said he was doing. But uh, I got a feeling he's still at that Asheville bar pounding back them tall boys. So hope to have Cousin Shane on the show at some point. If you don't hear from us before the 4th of July, you know, just wanted to say thanks to each and every one of you for sticking out and, and listening to us over the long, long off season. We're less than two months away from the start of the college football season. And just want to say thanks to each and every one of our supporters the season will be here before you know it. And, of course, we'll be there along for the ride. So thanks again, everybody. Have a great fourth. Have a great long weekend. We'll catch you on the other side. <laughs>